Anyone who's going to improve their project management skills, they're going to build faster, they're going to build better, and they're going to be closer to being on budget than those who don't have project management skills or who aren't as intentional about their project plan. Welcome to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast, the show where you learn how to plan, build, and live the tiny lifestyle. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman. Today, we have something a bit different. My guest has never built or lived in a tiny house, and besides a passion for simple living, he's not involved in the tiny house movement at all. But what my guest, Joel Zaslavsky, does have to bring is some spectacular project management skills. And he's here to convince us that building a tiny house is a project worth being managed. In fact, without project management, you risk going way over time, scope, budget, or all three. I should know. As unsexy as project management sounds, I hope you stick around for this crash course in Project Management 101. First, a quick shout out to AJ Elder, who left a review of the show in Apple Podcasts that says, I'm a huge fan of the show. It gives me so much to think about as I prepare to dive into tiny house living. Thank you. Well, I'd like to say thank you, AJ. Your review really made my day. And hey, you listening, if you like what you hear on the show today, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And if you really want to help us out, leave a rating and review of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcasts in Apple Podcasts. All right, welcome to the show. I am very excited to have my friend, Joel Zaslavsky. Joel is the community animator, multipotentialite, and quantum biology fanatic behind a bunch of really cool projects. He is the connections and operations guy for the Putty Tribe. He hosts the wonderful show, the Smart and Simple Matters podcast, and has one overarching theme in life, bringing people together. You will often find him deep in a minimalist spreadsheet, uh, making his wife roll her eyes at his antics or playing with his two young sons in Edina, Minnesota. Otherwise, Joel's out walking on frozen lakes, reigniting his personal renaissance and experience curating. And there are so many things just in your bio that I feel like we could have a whole convo about, but I'm getting ahead of myself. So let me first say, Joel, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks. Uh, what the heck indeed. We'll probably have a number of what the heck moments, but then we will answer the question, what the heck? Yeah. And I'm psyched because um, you are probably the first like non-tiny house person that I have had on as a guest. But I think that we need we need outside perspective. We need the skills of of people who aren't just like looking at Pinterest all day at tiny houses. Yeah, I have looked at Pinterest once and decided that's not my thing. I'd rather be in a spreadsheet. Uh, Instagram and Pinterest and basically images in general don't really care for them on the internet. I'm a visual guy. I like some things like that. But uh, yeah, I guess I'm not uh, your typical guest. And although I have been orbiting the tiny house world for a number of years with you and some of your influence and also I'm a simple living enthusiast, among other things, and with permaculture and sustainability and mindfulness. I mean, tiny houses are certainly in there too. So I'm not a complete foreigner to the realm. You're hip. You're hip to the lingo. You're hip to the tiny house world. Why don't we just start off by saying, you know, what makes you, what gives you your cred? What what makes you uh, able to talk about project management from a place of, of proficiency? 
Yeah. I have had a fair amount of experiences in different contexts with project management, uh, initially just stumbling into a role. Back in my uh, corporate work days, I had a, a hybrid role, which suits my multi-potentialite taste well. I was a, a hybrid project manager, uh, a business analyst, and relationship manager. So the business analyst part of me said, hey, project manager, Joel, here are some requirements for your project. Here's how you need to design the software, or here are the various stakeholders that you need to keep in the loop and ask their permission or get get their guidance on how to build something or how to do something. Uh, I did that for a few years in um, big roles, like big teams, multi-million dollar project. And then when I decided to go on my merry way and try to do some of my own things and collaborate on a smaller scale with really creative and cool people, I just kept coming back to project management. I needed to project manage myself for products and services that I was creating for my own stuff. And uh, along the way, I did some freelance project management work with a whole bunch of people, both online and offline. Um, I think the the community that I run, the Putty Tribe, uh, one of the most fun things was building a, a website with a team of six people over the course of nine months. And that was tricky, especially when people were all over the place. But fortunately, when you're project managing your own tiny house, you're normally not dealing with international distributors and people who are all across the world. It's a little bit more local. And sometimes that's easier. Other times it's harder because um, there's more face-to-face interaction and more boots on the ground kinds of things. So there's trade-offs and Maybe we'll get into some of that. Cool. Well, we were chatting in the before we went live and hit record, and you brought up a question that I wasn't even going to ask because, I mean, I think you are a very excellent podcast host on your in your own right, which was, you know, what is a project? I wasn't even going to go there. So what is a project? What is a project? Yeah. It's like, uh, what does meaning mean? It's one of those meta level (laughs) questions, which is kind of important. So when I think about a project, it's just a sequence of tasks that leads you towards one or more goals. And then project management is the art of running that project, of making a plan and then implementing it without going insane first. That's the key part. Like lots of people can do a project, but can you do it without going crazy or driving the people around you crazy? It's a pretty big aspect. Yeah, I think everyone who builds a tiny house goes crazy at least one time um, when, especially if they're doing the building themselves, when they're somewhere in the middle and they realize that they still have like, months and months of work and there's only the only person who's going to do that work is themselves yeah that's a crazy time so i guess when you said that should i say okay my tiny house is the project or do i need to say you know uh designing the tiny house is one project um finding the the builder who's gonna do the roofing is another project like how granular do you get It depends on who you are and how big you want to make it. You can make a series of mini projects. So a lot of people will approach a project which, regardless of how you're building your tiny house, it's a big deal. It's going to cost money. It's going to take a fair amount of time. It's going to involve a number of people. Um, And if you try to figure it out from start to finish over the course of six months, a year, with whatever budget that you have in place, that might just be too big. And you might, your brain might shut down on you and say, no, can't process. 
So you could easily break down the stages of your project into smaller projects, which I know a lot of people do. Sometimes you will have some blind spots if you can't anticipate what happens towards the end. There might be some things that you wanted to address upfront, and then if you don't at least think about them, let alone plan for them, then it might bite you in the butt on the back end. But um, yeah, I really encourage people when they're figuring out whatever it may happen to be that they're that they're doing, or in this case, that they're building, to break it down into the smallest, most manageable parts that they can, because otherwise you won't have a plan and you'll just be winging it the entire time. So any project plan and any ability to project manage is better than none. Okay, so if we are going to break down a project, what are the elements of, of that project? Yeah, project management 101. Okay, so at the simplest level, you have, well, I... I think about four main categories, but traditionally there's three main categories. They are scope, time, and budget. Uh, Some people will throw a fourth one in there, which is resources. Like you're going to need people and equipment and materials. And if you want to put that in there, you can as well. Uh, I typically start with scope. Like how big is this? Are you building one tiny house or are you building a pod of tiny houses in a community for them to live and roam around a certain area. That's a very different kind of project. Uh, Time. Are you constrained by time? Like, do you need to have this thing built in six months? Otherwise, really bad things happen to you or to your your ability to have the kind of lifestyle that you want. Uh, And then budget. We're often constrained by our budget as well. So when you think about the main categories. These are things that are boundaries, limitations, or constraints that you have. How big is it? That's scope. How long is it going to take? Time. How much money do you have? Budget. And then resources too, like who's available to help or collaborate with? What local equipment do you have access to? Those are the main things. So in defining the tiny house, building one as a project, what if I don't know how long it's going to take? Like time is a question mark to me. Is it okay to to project manage something and not know the answers to some of those questions? Yeah. Yeah. The ideal scenario would be an unlimited amount of time to build something and an unlimited budget. Uh, That's not the reality for most people. So yeah, one of those three things, scope, time, or budget, should be driving your planning and your decision making. Um, And each person gets to decide How big is it or how small is it? In our case, literally, since we're talking about tiny houses. Um, And yeah, you get to to pick which one of those three elements to focus on. And that might shift. Initially, it might be trying to figure out your budget. Like, how much money can I invest in this tiny house that I want to build? And then eventually, you might realize, wow, this is costing me a lot less than I thought it would. So now, I really want to pick up the pace and I want to finish this by fall before winter comes or if you're in the southern hemisphere you know the other way around so yeah those which one is most important or kind of your north star your guidepost it will shift during the course of a project interesting so so we've got those things defined about the project what are what are the methodologies what are the what's the actual practice of project management look like there are I won't say two main ones because that's not true anymore. About a decade ago, this is true. Um, but there's hybrids and offshoots. But to keep it simple for now, there's what a lot of people refer to as the waterfall 
methodology, which is a very linear approach. You basically, you set everything up ahead of time and you just go down your sequence of events and your list of tasks, checking the box all the way until you get to the end. And then you say, hey, I'm done. Project over. Doesn't really nice. allow for real life and for the real world to intervene in any meaningful way. Right. That seems like way too rosy. Like, and then we put up the siding and then we install the windows and then we do this. But they, you know, doesn't account for the fact that like, holy crap, there's a thunderstorm. I have to stop and cover my frame with tarps and then run inside and then, you know, and then start working on something else because I can't work on this one thing. Or my carpenter didn't show up, but my plumber's here. So now can I do things in a different order or the siding material? It's going to take two months for that to land on my doorstep. I want to do things in the next two months on my tiny house. What can I do instead of that thing that I had planned to do at this point in time? Um, So another way to think about project management is what's called agile. This is originally a software development style. And that works in small phases or cycles that are called sprints. Basically, these two-week sprints where you kind of define what it is that you're looking to do over this two-week period of time. And this is really good for small teams, which anyone who's building a tiny house, normally you don't have a team of 100 people who are all like need to be tightly coordinated and orchestrated. So agile having these sprints where you're embracing change and there's a lot of flexibility that's allowed in there. In fact, you expect things to not go right or to change on the fly. And so that's a style of managing a project that is acknowledging and accepting and embracing the inherent uncertainty of any kind of large project. Okay. So you've got me sold on the agile project management. It sounds a lot more like reflects real the real life of building a tiny house and i appreciate that the it is good for small teams cuz for a lot of us it's a small team of you know me and my partner or me and a builder or me and these few unskilled people who have <laughs> shown up to help today yeah okay so I mean, those are a couple of methodologies that people can choose from, and Mm -hmm. there's more if they want. But, you know, as we kind of go down the list here and you think about, great, methodology, just just tell me what to do, like how to do it. Maybe we can get into some of the different phases of a project in case people have never thought about, oh, yeah, there's a start and a finish, but what happens in between all that? There's there's a lot that happens. Yeah. Let's talk phases. All right. And again, kind of to relate this back to why we're even having this conversation, if I have one core message here, and we talked about this before we recorded, but anyone who's going to improve their project management skills, they're going to build faster, they're going to build better, and they're going to be closer to being on budget than those who don't have project management skills or who aren't as intentional about their project plan. Yeah, and so I'll just share that when I started my tiny house, I thought, that it was going to cost $20,000 and take three months. And I did not have good project management skills because it cost $40,000 and took 13 months. <laughs> <laughs> there are some unforeseeable things. I can yeah. catch you some slack there. But yeah. yeah, this project management stuff, if people are already kind of skeptical about how it relates to them or whether it's valuable for their own specific context, it's I, I really view it as a meta-level skill that's going to help you not just plan and build your tiny house, but better learn to live in it or do anything that's 
going to take longer than five minutes or have more than two tasks in a checklist. Getting good at project managing will help everyone around you and also yourself because, I mean, if you, if you want to look at it, most of the things that we do in life are a project. Everything from arts and crafts to new interests to buying a car or building a tiny house. I mean, all these things require or could use some kind of systematic breakdown of what you need to do and when and who's involved and how much you got. So with that kind of background, uh, there's a really good, if you link to this in the show notes, there's a great article from smartsheet.com. It's called Demystifying the Five Phases of Project Management. I will definitely link to it. And the terminology that I'm going to be using, there's synonyms. Project management's a big deal, and I kind of have the informal view of it. I've, I've never been formally certified by, like, I don't have letters after my name, like, PMP or there's other kinds of certifications that you could get. So if it's if people are listening and like, I know project management, this guy, what's he talking about? Well, we all have our own style of doing it and our own level of formality or informality. So phase one or gate one, again, lots of different synonyms. I just think about it as phase one is the conception of the project. You have decided that you want to build a tiny house. Sweet. Okay what basically I would encourage people there's a two page document that they could create called a project charter, which basically says, I'm going to do this thing. And here are some things that will guide me as I do this thing. Okay. And I'm assuming that if somebody went and Googled a project charter template for a building project, I'm, I'm guessing they could find a template out there. Yeah, there's projectmanagement.com, which has an online community as well. They mm-hmm. have thousands of templates for these phases of project management. Mm-hmm. Now, some of them are premium, meaning you have to pay. And the registration process is, they ask you for a lot of information, let's put it that way. Uh, but there's some pretty amazing templates that you could take a few minutes to sign up and get access to immediately. Uh, many of which are relevant to what we're talking about. Yeah, and I'm just, this is just going off in a direction here. I just want to say that templates are an amazing thing that have helped me do so many different projects because when you get a template and you you start filling it out, maybe on this project charter, it's going to make me think of something that I hadn't thought of. Like, oh, I need to be aware of the seasons or I, I, I'm making it up, but... Use templates, definitely. And the same goes for using pre-made plans for a tiny house, that you're going to see things in pre-made designs that you maybe aren't thinking of in your DIY designs. And so there's no no shame in using a template. Templates and checklists, such, such good things to use for any project. Uh, and oftentimes you'll get your hands on one and you'll think, nah, that's not relevant. But something on there, instead of having to have your own brain do the thinking of mm-hmm. the 12 steps that might go into something, even if you get a checklist and only three out of the 12 steps are relevant to you, that's at least three more steps that your brain didn't have to come up with on their own or formulate how you might go about doing them. Uh, so number two, phase number two is uh, project definition and planning. That's starting to really get serious about your scope, your time, and your budget. And for me, the key there's a key document in this uh, phase two, if you will, called the scope statement. 
it can be as fancy or as non-fancy as you want, but basically you're defining your deliverables, meaning the things that are going to actually be created or produced as a result of your project. So your deliverable, it's a tiny house on wheels. Okay, but what else? Is it just for creating the thing? Are you going to live in it for 12 months while you tow it around North America? Are you going to resell it locally? Like each of those pieces are parts of the deliverables. If creating it is one part and selling it is another part, then you need to have those as your deliverables. Uh, I won't get into too much here, but roles and responsibilities. So if you aren't the handiest person in the world like me, you're going to need an electrician, you're going to need a plumber, you're going to need a carpenter, you're going to need other tradespeople, uh, and each one of those is serving a role and has a specific set of tasks that they need to do in order to create this thing. So you're going to define those. Project milestones, starting and ending is great, but the everything in between is more important, and that's just all very high level. And it won't be right. Like You're going to estimate your project milestones, and then life will happen, and you'll realize, ha-ha, that was funny. So like... Tell me if I'm correct in saying like, so a project milestone could be completing the framing and then another milestone could be rough in, like, which means that you've got your sheathing up and your windows in and basically the, the structure is watertight. There you go. Okay. It's also, so a scope statement is also going to help you estimate your costs. You've got labor costs, you've got material costs, you've got transportation to get to and from the build site. There's a lot of other things that are incorporated in there. And then I think one of the most overlooked parts in any project, whether you're doing it officially or unofficially, is you have risks. There are known risks and there are unknown risks. But for the risks that you have, like how will you prevent yourself from going thousands of dollars over budget? Well, you'll actively track your budget and spending. That's a great way to mitigate the risk that you're going to go over budget by figuring out how much you spent already out of all the money that you've allocated to it. Uh, oftentimes when I do a big project, I have a wife and young kids. So I think about how am I going to reduce the risk that my boys and my wife are going to hate me while I'm working on this project? Well, I'll put it as part of the project plan that I will actively take time with them and involve them in the project if I can. Most projects I can't, but sometimes if I'm doing something, especially with my kids, I can just bring them along. Or I could talk to them about it and and have them envision the thing that I'm creating, especially if it's not where they are and where they live. So these are all important parts. And then a last thing would be a communications plan, which is you have a, a fancy word is for all the people who are involved in your project, you have stakeholders, people who are invested in the outcome. Maybe it's just because they want to get paid, and maybe it's because they want to have a place to live after the thing is done. But who needs to know what and when and how during the course of your project? These are all the kinds of things that you might define uh, in the second phase in this definition and planning. Wow, this is great so far. And we're only at phase two. I cannot wait to hear what's coming in phase three. Well, I don't mean to gloss over phases three, four, and five, although I'm going to give a little less over here because so the third part is okay, now your project is actually going. Now you've got materials, maybe you have some contractors lined up, you're starting to pay money, or you're starting to build things yourself, you need to track things. So maybe we'll get into a conversation about tools, like how are you tracking the milestones or the mini steps that add up to the milestones of your project? Uh, Quality, like,
getting something done is great, but getting something done well is even better. Especially important when it's a house that you live in. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, so how are you going to ensure that it's done the way that you want it to be done with the quality that you expect? And then as you continually forecast, again, thinking about your scope, your time, and your budget, like you need to make real-time adjustments to those things based on what's happening. So that's the, the execution phase, the third phase. Fourth phase is also monitoring performance. Like you had a set of objectives. Build a tiny house was the, the highest level one. But within that, there are a series of smaller goals that you had. Are your contractors delivering on them? Are they fulfilling their promises? Are they communicating with you? Maybe you have somebody on your team who just refuses to show up or doesn't communicate the way that you want. Well, this would be a good time to say, hey, sorry, you're, you're a bottleneck. You're preventing all of the progress for all these other people and you need to go. So you need to find someone else. So you're just controlling as you get towards the end, who's involved? Are people doing what they promised to do? Do you need to step in? Do you need to reevaluate? And maybe, I mean, even at some point, it probably wouldn't happen with the tiny house, but there could come a time where you realize three months and $10,000 into it, this was a terrible idea. Instead of sinking more time and money in it, I should just stop because otherwise it's going to take me way more time and way more money and it's just a bunch of sunk costs and you would recognize that potentially in phase four and just say, I'm done. Not a place that we want to be, but important to be able to recognize when we get there. Yeah. And then phase five is you're closing it out. I like to think about this as the high five phase or hugs, depending on what party. your preferences are. Housewarming party. Yeah. Uh, it's not necessarily time to celebrate yet, but I, whenever I'm planning a project, I always plan celebration into it. And I like to celebrate along the way, which is what your milestones can be for. Uh, but part of this could be maybe this is your first tiny house and you want to do more. Uh, so this would be the time where you review all the things that you did in the previous phases and figure out what went well, what didn't go well, what would I do differently if I were to do this again, where did my templates rock and where did my checklist let me down? Um, basically, you're, you're making sure that every single box is checked that you wanted to have checked. And then sometimes you might need to create a report of some kind. Maybe you've got some organization or group that you're building this on behalf of, and they want some kind of status report of what you did and how you did it and how much money was spent. But yeah, this is when you're shutting down things and hopefully giving people a lot of high fives. Nice. Well, let's talk tools a little bit because you know, everything that we've talked about so far has been very much, um, you know, it's, it's floating around up there and we need to get it either onto paper or into some program. Um, so what, what are some of your favorite tools for project management? If you're the digital sort like I am, um, there are two tools that are free and are also pretty great. I actually, since I'm kind of the minimalist spreadsheet kind of guy, I thought I would love something called Asana which is easier on the eyes. It's not as visual. It's more linear. Uh, but I have ended up using a tool called Trello, which is kind of like Pinterest for project management. <laughs> and despite my previous 
claims that I have been on Pinterest once in my life, I actually really like the visual nature of Trello, the ability to create uh, categories and lists and drag certain tasks around, create due dates for them. That's something that we haven't talked about yet is due dates are really important when you're doing your project. Otherwise, uh, who was it? Was it Napoleon Hill who said that uh, a goal is a dream with a deadline? Nice. I, I don't know who said it, but I like it. I think so. And that's, I mean, if you're not setting deadlines, then it's just a dream. At least if you're talking you know, project management here. So these kinds of tools will force you to say, who's responsible? Is it one person or is it multiple people? And you can assign tasks to certain people, yourself or to other people. And they can collaborate with you online. Due dates. Um, these are all things that any project management tool will have. But I really enjoy Trello and especially even the free plan, the free plan of Trello does everything that I need it to do and way more. And I have pretty high standards for my project management tools. So basically anything that doesn't involve a Gantt chart is what you want to use. And I won't explain what a Gantt chart is because it's ugly. Okay, so we've got we've got Asana and we've got Trello. And um, I'll echo back that I am a recent convert to Trello. I, I also found Asana to be a little bit too... I could go too deep into it and hide information from myself in sub, sub, sub list tasks, like way too far in there. Um, and Trello just has this very visual, um, just everything is right there in front of you. And I love, I love post-its. I mean, my, my old productivity system involved literally moving post-its around a physical whiteboard. And I feel like Trello allows me to replicate that in the digital space. Um, but I mean, I'm, I'm no project management pro. I am very good at, at the research end and the, um, saving information. And so for that, um, I use Evernote and I've talked about Evernote on my blog in the past, and I should probably do a whole episode about how I use Evernote and how it could be helpful for tiny houses. But, um, you know, while I'm going around the web or while I was going around the web doing research for my tiny house, I was clipping information into Evernote. It allows you to basically save text, video, pictures from the web, and I was tagging it. So I was, you know, if I found something that seemed relevant to how I was going to do my plumbing, I would save it into Evernote in my tiny house notebook with a plumbing tag. Um and Evernote and Trello can totally play nice together. Um, you can link back and forth between them. If people aren't going to use a digital tool, which a lot of people are analog and that's totally cool, then just checklists. Like write down a, for the different phases of the project that you're in um, or for the things that you need to do in the next week, checklists are your good friend. Just make a little line if you want to cross that out on a piece of paper or you want to have that, that nice feel of doing the actual check mark in the empty box and being like, ah, yeah, self high five. Mm -hmm. Lots of things can work as long as you are deliberately anticipating what is coming up, especially over the next week or month, depending on how big your build is. Um, anything beyond that, if you're going analog, will probably be a little bit hard. I mean, people pr could probably use bullet journals and other types of analog tools to do this kind of thing. I just don't have as much experience with those. Yeah, I would imagine that if you're doing it on paper, there's going to be a lot of erasing. Because as you mentioned, milestones, you know, due dates might change, resources might change, and you 
need to keep the project plan updated. Actually, maybe we should talk about that because I, I feel like as you know, you're building changes and say you decide that you want to add a couple extra windows and that affects your budget and maybe your timeline, you have to keep your project plan updated. Otherwise, it's it becomes no longer helpful, right? Yeah, this is where most people start with a tool like Asana or Trello and then they're all excited and they got it all planned out and then two weeks into it, they just say, screw it. I'm not using this anymore. Right. Reality no mat longer matches the the digital world. Yeah. That's where you tell your brain, brain, I get it. I understand why you want to bail and why you want to jump ship on it. But I pick this tool and unless I've got a better one, I'm going to keep using it because otherwise things are going to get lost in the void of my brain or I'm going to forget about the scope uh, or I'm not going to understand who's responsible for what and what my timeline is. And this one task out of 100, like it absolutely positively needs to be done in this way by this date. Otherwise, this cascade of dominoes falls and then many bad things happen. Uh, that's, that's one thing is people, I've seen this happen with projects. Their tool isn't working for them and then they abandon the tool without trying to replace it. So always have some kind of a tool in place when you're working on some kind of a big project. Guilty right here. I am too. I, I, I speak, I, I say this with like a lot of, not necessarily authority, but with a lot of force because I have blown things up and there's been like, eh, I got this. I've done this kind of thing before. My brain can handle it. No, at least not mine. Yeah, and and... If you think your brain can handle keeping track of a whole tiny house build, it can't. I mean, unless you're like superhuman and have a computer for a brain. Yeah. And that's just you too. So I, when it comes to communication, I mean, one of the neat things about tools is you can share your tools with other people. Maybe sometimes it's literal tools, whether it's a saw or the things that you're using. If you have access to some kind of communal pool of tools, that's awesome. Like we enjoy sharing our tools. One of the neat things about digital project management tools is you can share them. You can invite other people to see and to collaborate, to assign you tasks or to check off, hey, I did this. Instead of calling or texting your contractor being like, did you do it? Did you do it? Did you do it? They just go to the link that you gave them and click the box and you know they did it without you having to continue to ping them. Nobody enjoys that. Uh, Just that hands-on management of things, which... Another meta-level skill of projects is tactfulness. You can have a number of people, whether it's your family or whether it's the team that you're working with, um, or like the ability to be a good diplomat and to negotiate well, whether it's how fast something gets done or how much you pay for it. These are really good skills to have. And there's other good skills that a, a project manager will work on, but the, the tactfulness, the, hey, I understand what's going on, but you still need to do the thing that you promised to do unless, inle- unless you end up... Unless you're quitting. <laughs> unless you're quitting, yeah. Well, this has been great. I, I wonder, you mentioned the um, demystifying project management article. Um are there any other resources that you recommend for somebody who's like hearing this and is like, yeah, I want to really, I want to read a book about project management or I really want to dive in with this and learn about it for my tiny house build. 
Yes. Um, there are a number of books that I could recommend, but I get the sense that they'll probably be overkill for people who are just getting started. Like if someone's listening to our conversation and they're thinking, oh, project management, interesting, tell me more, they might do better with a Google search for Project Management 101 and reading some baseline articles before they decide, okay, I want to listen to the Project Management podcasts that have 200 episodes in their archives, or I want to get the five-book series on each of the phases of project management and how to rock them. All this to say, I don't have a good jumping-off point for people if they want to get deeper into the world of project management because there's so many different schools of thought and there's so many different levels of seriousness at which people take project management, I would really just encourage people to explore a little bit online first and see what methodology or what level of depth they want to get into. And then I'm sure they'll find the right resource for themselves. Great. And I usually ask my guests to share one or two resources that helped them along their, their tiny house journeys uh, but for you, Joel, since you mentioned that you are passionate about simple living, I'm curious if you have any favorite simple living resources that you can share with us. I think about this as a simple living resource, although I kind of put this in the category of all good resources, spreadsheets, specifically Excel, Microsoft Excel spreadsheets. They, the way that I use them are just black and white, no fancy formulas, lots of sorting and filtering with just the built-in tools for Excel. I have one of my main mantras in life is if it's important, put it in a spreadsheet. And I've been going by that for about six years now. Um, so spreadsheets are my go-to tool for pretty much everything. Uh, another tool or resource when it comes to simple living and and just how it might apply to tiny houses would be probably gratitude practice. I, I, when I started getting into simple living more and more, I started hearing more and more voices talking about the benefits of gratitude, not just for yourself, but for the other people who are around you. I have been frequently and intentionally grateful often verbally many times a day to many people who I care about and also to myself, uh, Self-compassion is not something that comes easily to me. So having gratitude practices, whether it's at the dinner table before we eat, one thing that we're grateful for, or gratitude journal, anything that has the word gratitude associated with it, if you can do it more and you can use it more, that is going to help you maintain your appreciation, your respect, your trust in other people, and just lead a more sane life. Joel Zaslowski, I am so grateful for you taking the time to be on the show today. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much to Joel Zaslowski for being a guest on the show. You can find the show notes and links mentioned in this episode at thetinyhouse.net slash Joel. The Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast is brought to you this week by Tiny House Decisions. Tiny House Decisions is the guide I wish I had when I built my tiny house, and it comes in three different packages to help you get a jump start on your planning. Save hundreds of hours of research and thousands of dollars on your build with Tiny House Decisions. You can learn more at thetinyhouse.net slash THD. We're offering a special discount for podcast listeners. Use the coupon code TINY to take 20% off any package. 
Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash THD, coupon code TINY for 20% off. That's all, and I'll be back next week with another episode of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast.